Hey, y'all, it's Cody. As you can tell from the title of the episode that you're listening to, this is a special edition of Tiger's Win. Tiger's Win is the podcast that I do where I talk to LSU athletes, former athletes, coaches, staff members about excellence and winning and championship culture and all the things that go into being successful both on the field and away from competition and life in general. And we just launched season two of Tiger's Win. Our first episode is with LSU soccer head coach Sean Hudson. I wanted to cross promote it over here on this feed. It's a larger feed. And I figured some of you who listen to the podcast regularly know how much me and Hester love soccer. And uh, the LSU soccer team does have a huge match on Friday against Mississippi State at home. The Tigers are undefeated this season. They're 7-0. and They're number six in the country. They've won 10 straight going back to last year, which is incredible in and of itself. It's even more incredible when you consider the fact that just a couple seasons ago, the team only won three games all season. And Coach Hudson is just in her second year. I know all of you subscribe to this feed for football conversations. This is the other football that we're talking about today. And just a, uh, a promotion of the Tigers Win feed. Um, this is the only episode of Tigers Win that I'll post on here for now. But we just started season two, as I said earlier. So if you want to find Tigers Win, uh, just search it in your podcast platform of choice. Just search Tigers Win. I'll also include a link in the description of this episode. So you can click through that and find it very, very easily. Please subscribe. And once you subscribe to that feed, give us a rating and a review. Hey, give us a rating and review on this one if you haven't already. Appreciate you all for supporting Hey Fightin' Podcast. I hope you'll enjoy Tiger's win as well. And me and Hester will be back with a normal Hey Fightin' Podcast after LSU beat Central Michigan by a million points. See y'all on Sunday morning. The track by Mars with the pitch. One on the hit the right field. That's way back there. Way back there. Oh, God. Every single time we get into a tackle tonight, let them feel it. Every time we make a run, burn them. Every time we put your foot through the ball, have the confidence that it's going to sail in the back of the net. And when they come out against us tonight, let them feel the full force of the LSU Tigers. We got that! The voice you just heard there was the voice of LSU soccer coach Sean Hudson, who's our first guest on season two of Tigers Win. And I'm really excited about both the new season of the podcast and this episode. Those of you who follow me on Twitter probably know that I'm a massive soccer fan. And so to see LSU soccer go from where it was a couple years ago, struggling to win any matches to where they are now, which is number six in the country. I say number seven in the country throughout this episode. The rankings have updated since the interview. Number six in the country, undefeated and getting ready for the SEC opener Friday, 7 p.m., at home at the LSU Soccer Complex against Mississippi State, to go from where they were to where they are now so fast is a credit to Coach Hudson. Not just the intensity that you heard in that pregame speech, but the focus she has that I think is very, very clear in this interview. I love talking to coaches for a number of reasons, and Coach Hudson nails absolutely two of them right on the head. I love their insight into the psychology of sports. And by the way, Coach Hudson was a sports psychology major in college. But I also love their ability to discuss optimal performance and how to get optimal performance out of athletes and out of themselves. And Coach Hudson nails that too. And the two are related and they're very closely related. But her ability to tap into both of those things, her ability to tap into the mental side of the game tactically with her team is a huge part of why they are where they are and why they've gotten here so fast. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with LSU soccer head coach Sean Hudson. One programming note at the end of the episode, I'm going to play a conversation that I had with coach Hudson last year, a year ago. You'll hear me reference that conversation throughout the podcast. We referenced it so much and we talked in that initial conversation a year ago about her background and her origin growing up in Wales, being a pioneer in the game uh, of, of football over there, soccer here, and her mother being a pioneer as well. And I think it's such a, a good conversation that I've never shared before that I wanted to share it. So what you're about to hear is a conversation I had with Sean Hudson just a couple days ago. And then after that, the outro music will play and we'll put a little bonus clip on the end, the conversation that I had with Coach Hudson a year ago. They're both great conversations. I hope you enjoy them both. I'm super excited about season two of Tigers Win. We've got a bunch of great guests lined up, episodes already recorded. I'm fired up to share with you all the keys to success 
that come from various walks of LSU athletics. So without further ado, here is my interview with LSU soccer head coach, Sean Hudson. To another episode, another season of Tigers win, second season of Tigers win, and very excited to have LSU soccer coach Sean Hudson on. Uh, coach, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your patience as uh, I was late getting over here. Let's let's be honest. Um, the weather slowed me down a little bit, but I appreciate your patience and your time and and uh, getting to talk to you today. Yeah, thanks for having us on. So we spoke a year ago before you started the season, and you were just about to get started here at LSU in a context that I don't think most coaches would want to start their careers at a a new school at it's all SEC schedule. It's COVID there's restrictions. It's um, it's anything but ordinary and anything, but the plan that you would write. And we talked about your vision for the program and I was sold instantly. Now maybe it's the, the soccer fan in me, but you talked about playing a style where you keep the ball and you move the ball. And you know, the SEC is such an athletic and direct league but you wanted to do things a little bit differently. And I was both in love with the vision and wondering, okay, how long will it take for that to come into place? So before we talk about this year and y'all are off to a 7-0 start and number seven in the country and everyone's watching now and and, and raptured by the success you're having, I want to go back to that time frame. You have this vision. That's important. You have to have vision. But how do you sell your vision to your team? And how do you get them to start executing your vision? Yeah, I I think first and foremost, it starts with communication. And I think we had a a group that were just hungry for change. And, uh, you know, the first thing I have to say is the players welcomed the new staff and the new ideas. I I think there's always a period of time where you have to... um, you know, convince people of what that vision looks like and how we're going to take those small steps in order to arrive at that, not necessarily final destination, but to get to the point where we can execute that on the field. Um, So first and foremost, I I think the players were hungry for change. And I think obviously having assistant coaches that I had worked with previously was really important um, to me coming in just from the standpoint of being able to execute that vision really quickly across the staff as a whole. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of work, obviously, early on. It was incredibly challenging to be able to execute this vision with a team that we couldn't even be around when the players had to go home for the pandemic. And they some were overseas, some were, you know, obviously in other areas of the country. For context, you were hired in January of 2020? Yeah, we and started so t- with the Two months team. later. Yeah, two. I think we had about six weeks with them here in person. And obviously some of that I was spent on the road recruiting. Um, and then they were all packed off to go home. And, and then you have to, to get creative in that space. And, and how can we continue to push forward with, with instilling our beliefs as a staff during a time where we couldn't even be around the players? So we came up with this idea to build a website platform where it would basically be an online coaching tool using the... Uh, the last Women's World Cup games, and we used all of our you know, fancy technology that we have here with spotlights and voiceovers, and we created this online sort of coaching platform where the players could go on, and regardless of what formation we were playing, learn how we were going to attack and defend within that formation. Unbelievable. Um, so that was something that we put a lot of time and effort into last spring as a staff, and I don't think any of us had ever built a website before. That's what I was about to say. Were you like coding? <laughs> Were you typing up like the HTML code? Uh, hey, you just have to get creative <laughs> in times. And uh, I think as much as the players initially were like, oh my gosh, I have to do another online class, sure. a soccer class. Um, I think just being able to get our terminology, our soccer language, our approach across during that time where maybe a lot of other schools were not really doing much yeah. um, gave us the ability to come in in preseason in the summer and into the fall especially with with a certain level of our philosophy in sure. place um, and then obviously we had that sort of six week period in the fall where we didn't were we going to have a season are we not mm-hmm. having a season we lost all of our non-conference games so to go into a, a tough SEC stretch and, and sort of be trying to implement that vision 
in an SEC level competition. We always knew it was going to take a handful of games just to get going. Yeah. What What did those classes look like? Like, is it like a video and then like a quit? Like, and what were the requirements? Did they have to take like X amount of classes per week? Like what I'm curious, like beyond the actual physical coding and building of a website, what it looked like practically for them to go through? Yeah, I think everything was built around a video. I think, you know, student athletes these days are so visual they're online all the time and so we clipped the video we spotlighted we used arrows with all of our technology and then we voiced over in terms of how we were going to coach that Mm -hmm. so obviously it was you know the world's best playing the game but it was our voice it was our terminology so a lot of arsenal clips right (laughs) (laughs) no no on what not to do (laughs) um but no, I think that went a long way in terms of showing the players that we are going to have a very detailed approach to the way that we attack and defend. It gave them a, the ability and maybe a, a non-pressurized setting at home to go back in and relook at those things time and time again. Um, but we, we typically presented that in a Zoom setting with mm-hmm. the team. And then we obviously gave them the, the password information to go in and just rewatch it. Some people learn right away and are able to apply really quickly and others just need that, that additional time. And even to this day, we still use that in some of our presentations now. Um, but I think one of the things that I believe strongly in is being tactically diverse. And so we built out every single formation that we may play um, so they can go in in times where we change mm-hmm. for different opponents. They can go in and just have that. Um, that ability to, to relearn. So it was all video-based, and then there was quizzes for a check for understanding. So you mentioned being tactically diverse, and then also sort of the early part of last season. You go in and you're playing an all-SEC schedule. Um, you're in year one. You haven't had time to necessarily recruit players. Um, you you sort of inherit a team, and you haven't been given the time to physically be there with them. But you've, you've adapted, and you've come up with a plan and I remember watching y'all early last year and I've watched LSU soccer for a few years and instantly you could see exactly what you were trying to do like I'm I'm a I'm a soccer fan I know a little bit about the game but I think even people who don't know soccer that well could see they're trying to do something different and and play differently and it was it was like baby steps or it was like watching something developed to where every game you could see the improvement you could see the buy-in and the results just weren't there and so I was sitting there worried internally like man I can see what they're trying to do this is the right way to go about it but I'm worried that if they don't get the positive reinforcement of a win and a result that you know maybe they'll lose belief or maybe it won't connect now, the results eventually came, and we'll talk about that in a second, but you know, maybe I'm channeling Ted Lasso here, but how did you get them to believe in those moments when here's what I'm selling, here's the vision that I have, the results aren't there yet, but I'm, I promise you they're coming. How did you get them to believe that? Well, I'm a sports psychology major, and so I think I believe really strongly in goal setting. And so even though we talked about the long-term vision, we had a lot of short-term goals that we had set for the team. So even in moments where maybe the outcome wasn't favorable in terms of the scoreline, we could see that each game we were growing in terms of being able to accomplish some of the shorter-term goals. Mm And then I think with anything in life, there has to be a balance. You know, we spend a lot of time off the field together, really working on our relationships and just sort of that, those connections that we have. And so even in times where maybe the performance results weren't coming, you could see that the connections and the relationships that the girls were building behind the scenes were so much more meaningful to them and, and deeper. And they, they genuinely enjoyed being around each other off the field and then stepping on the training field and, and learning the game at a really high level and learning more about each other. And I think now that we've been able to navigate the performance piece and you see all of that come together, you know, it's, it definitely feels good Mm -hmm. and you can sort of see the result of that and how they compete for each other on the field. So I want to get to the the turning point and the results and those coming and and really now piling up. But before that, you mentioned the, the team bonding and the building of connections and I remember this fall y'all posted on on the Twitter account some photos of a retreat that y'all had done and so I'd love to hear the story behind that specifically but also how intentional you are about trying to develop that that team chemistry and what unique ways you try to to do that whether it's 
a retreat of some sort at a you know remote location or even on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I think uh, throughout my career, I've been very intentional about team trips, team retreats, you know, culture building. You know, one of my favorite lines is uh, culture eats talent for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's so important to get to know each other at a human level before we talk about the performance side. So obviously last year was incredibly challenging with the pandemic and the inability to be in a space like this for longer than 15 minutes and and how you are supposed to build relationships when you're behind a mask or not allowed to be in the same space was really difficult but we went to um to a retreat lindsay balcone um one of my assistant coaches um who we've worked together previously in colorado ran the whole show there and it's, it's essentially a way that you can build trust. You know, you have to be vulnerable, I believe, in order to build trust. Um, and how you build trust off the field, I think, resonates with what you can do on the field. So we do a lot of fun. You know, we have a lot of fun together activities, whether that is how you navigate an obstacle course and the communication skills that you need in order to be able to communicate as a group or a team, I think is really important. Um, but for me, it's about... Can you enjoy being in the same space as somebody? Can we have conversations at, you know, at a human level? And, and then how does that translate on the field? So we do a lot of team building activities, you know, listening to each other's experiences, I think is so important and so powerful. Um, and just learning to respect each other and, and sort of everybody's background, um, I think is so important, especially for coaches and then learning how to motivate each individual and how to get the best out of them. So I want to go to the turning point now, and if I can do it quickly enough, I want to pull up a text message that I had sent you last year after y'all's first win, because we had talked and I was engaged and watching, and just every game, like it felt like y'all kept getting closer and closer and closer, and or, and then something crazy would happen or some little mistake would would blow up, and y'all finally got the result and this is from november 13th i don't even remember who y'all y'all beat i'm sure you do off the top of your head who who was that first one alabama alabama okay beautiful (laughs) absolutely beautiful i should remember that but i just texted you and 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 said i'll I'll just read it here i I hope you don't mind so coach hudson i enjoyed our conversation on zoom for the the story several weeks back i've enjoyed watching your team this season just as much the culture you're building has been evident all year long you didn't need to win to prove it to anyone who's watched, but you did deserve a win to celebrate the work you and your team have put in. Congratulations on the first of many. So thrilled for you and your staff and your team. Uh, I said the first of many. I didn't expect exactly what happened after that, but and we'll get to that in a second. That that game, what, what did that mean to finally see that um, that work pay off and and um, and just give us the context behind that win as well. Yeah, we had gone down to, to College Station to play A&M in our final, uh, final SEC game in the regular season. And even though we lost 2-1, we came out of that game, I think, knowing that that performance, um, that performance gave us belief going into the SEC tournament that we could get a result against anyone. And I think that for me, when we drove to Orange Beach, you know, there was just a sense of, I think, excitement that it was a clean start going into the SEC tournament. Because I think just not having had a win in the regular season probably did weigh heavy on all of us. Um, But going into the SEC tournament with sort of a clean start, uh, clean slate, so to speak, there was just an excitement of this is it, you know, now it's, now it's our opportunity to do something special. And I, I think I could just feel the, uh, the momentum sort of shifting when, on the drive home from College Station, heading to Orange Beach. And in that game against Alabama, I don't think any, any player, any staff member ever believed that there was going to be anything other than success. And obviously, uh, Taylor Dobler scored a couple of goals for us, and it was a really big moment. And I think just you watch the celebrations after the game, and I think there was definitely a sense of relief, for sure. But um, as we sort of prepared then going into the Ole Miss game, I think the group genuinely believed, there's certainly the girls that were here in 2018 when they won the SEC tournament, that we could do it again. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think just having to play three games in five days and play in A&M on that fifth day when they were fresh coming in, it was their first game. It, it was just a lot physically yeah. at that point in time. But even in that game, we lost 1-0. And I thought that at times, for large periods of that game, we were the better team and we yeah. could have maybe scored a goal and the game could have gone differently. But but driving home from Orange Beach and having our end-of-season player meetings, I mean, it was just a sense of... We had come through this journey together. We had overcome so many different obstacles and, and just the, the excitement looking ahead to the spring, even at that point in the fall, and it had been a long, long fall, was there. And you could just sense that the girls were hungry um, and that the des- desire was there to come in and, and do what we did in the spring. Yep. So there's, there's two sides to every coin. And so the difficult part of the fall schedule was you got to play all SEC games and we haven't had any time together. But that fortifies you, and then you get this spring schedule that's a little more expanded, right, than it would have normally been, and you're able to carry that momentum over rather than going from a fall season to – I know there's usually a a shorter spring season that's maybe a couple games, but you were able to get a longer extended one and really keep that momentum going and breed this familiarity and and, and just everything that clicked in that that Alabama game. It all just – I mean, it was like a platform from which you guys launched. So what was it like to watch that evolution? And Aaron sitting over there, I don't, I don't remember the exact record, but I know y'all, got, y'all just got hot and maybe finished, I don't know, six and two, with, you know, maybe one loss in there and a couple draws and like six wins maybe. Um, that's off the top of my head. I don't know. Six, one, and one. So I was, I was close. That's not bad off the top of my head. Thank you, Aaron. Um, but a, just a really good spring to, to take what you had built in the fall, not have to wait a year and just keep building. Yeah, you know, I think that's a testament to the girls and, and the work that they put in in the offseason. Renee, Renee Balconi, our strength and condition coach, does a phenomenal job with them in the offseason where they come back ready to compete and not necessarily just resting over the winter period. So we were able to hit the ground running in the spring in terms of tactically where we left off in the fall and then obviously physically I I just you know I I look at us at the the moment as a group and I don't think there's really one component of the game that we're lacking I think physically we look so fit um you know and that's certainly credit to Renee um but when I think about the spring I think we spent a lot of time in the fall trying to figure out our our identity and who could we become from a a tactical standpoint. I think the the attacking philosophy was in place in terms of we want to keep the ball, Mm -hmm. but we didn't necessarily have all of the tools in order to play this sort of free-flowing attacking style. And so in the spring, we maybe shifted our emphasis a little bit more to being really organized defensively and difficult to break down, and then how could we hit teams on the counterattack and... While we didn't score a huge number of goals in the spring, I think we we didn't concede very many, and I think we were able to maintain possession of the ball for large periods of games, and I think that continued to bring belief, um, and we did. We had a lot of success. Obviously, we beat Florida, I think, for the first time in 10 years, and then followed that up with two big wins in Texas yeah. against Baylor and Texas Tech, and so I think the players just left the spring season knowing that we could beat anybody you know, on our day. And if we continue to believe in the vision and what we were trying to execute on the field tactically, that, you know, that it was going to be a a fun and exciting fall. You don't need me to tell you this, but if you want to endear yourself with LSU fans, beating Alabama and beating Florida is a very good start (laughs) that that will win over a lot of people. Um, So you mentioned the physical conditioning of this team and you were, I was fortunate enough to go watch a little practice this morning in the, in the indoor and that really stood out to me. Um, I haven't. I've I've been watching you guys on TV this year. I'll be out there Friday for for the Mississippi State game. Um, but when it, being there up close in person, watching y'all practice, it was the intensity. It was the physical intensity. I told you this before we started recording. I I kind of expected to come in and like, oh, we're going to kick the ball around a little bit and stay healthy for Mississippi State, and um, and you know just have kind of a you know maybe more of a mental practice than a physical practice. And I was dead wrong. I mean, y'all were getting after it. It was physical. It was competitive. Uh, it was spirited. Hard challenges, but but um, really instilling that mentality in the team. And so I want to talk about that mentality and the shift from the spring where you did you know, sort of um, create defensive solidity and try to hit teams on the counter. And now this year, I mean, y'all are scoring goals left and right. 
and um, just how, how you shifted that, that tactile approach, that mental approach, and, and then the connection with what I saw in practice today, that just that spirit and, and competitiveness that, that y'all really seem to have, have grasped. Yeah, I, I think it's really important to train at a higher level than you're ever asked to compete because when pressure comes and um, we know that you know, that takes a little bit out of you in terms of like your emotional energy. And so we always talk about, can we train harder than we're going to be asked to compete? So competing, we're in our fl- sort of flow mindset and our flow zone. So yeah, you're always going to see tackles flying around at training. It's always going to be sort of energetic, enthusiastic, upbeat. Um, but the girls were definitely getting after it this morning, which was great to see. I think they're so excited to, to open SEC play against Mississippi State on Friday. And for us, it's, it's about a mentality. You know, there are so many good players in this league. But I think the, you know, we always talk about be the 3%. You know, can you be sort of that, have that elite mentality of making yourself better every single, with every single action and every single time you come out to training. And, and I think this morning we certainly left the field a, a better team and better individuals because of the effort um, and, and sort of the collective effort that we're willing to put in. It's not just about can I make myself better, but can I make my teammate next to me better um, by the effort and the work rate and the where, where did the, the goal scoring and the creativity come from? Because especially with the road trip that y'all just had and y'all knocked off ranked team after ranked team and went from unranked to 17th in the polls to seven, um, and y'all were just banging in goals left and right. Where, where did where did that come from? Where did that unlocking come from? Because it went from very defensively solid, but keeping you know y'all did a good job of keeping the ball and moving it around last year, but just the final third, that's the hardest thing to add on, I, I imagine. And then now this year, like, I was watching some clips from the ULL game, and y'all had a a few combinations in midfield. I mean, just one touch, one touch, one touch, and then broke free. And it was just – it was really, really beautiful and entertaining to watch. Where did that – that step go from? How did you create that that step from solidity to fluidity? Well, I I think first and foremost, development of our current group that we had last year. Um, I think Laura Busby, one of my assistants, has put in a a huge amount of work in terms of ball striking and being able to to hit different types of shots and finishes with the group. Um, And so I think we've seen an evolution maybe in in the group that we had last year in terms of their ability to finish. And then we've obviously been able to supplement that with, you know, with some key transfers that have come in and, and just sort of raised you know, maybe the belief in our attacking unit, they've been able to add a couple of really critical components for us. Um, and then you have some special talents like a Tanea Alexander who's able to, you know, unlock any defense mm-hmm. in moments. Um, and I think it's just all sort of come together here um, in the first few weeks of the season. Obviously, I wanted to put a schedule together at the beginning of this season with exhibitions and non-conference games where we could get off and running in front of the goal and be really attack-minded. So I think scoring a lot of goals early on in our exhibition series was huge for self-belief and, and just confidence. And it's just sort of you know gathered momentum from there. You mentioned earlier being the 3%, and that reminds me of the crest that you unveiled before the season and identity. And it's something I think about all the time and core values. It's something we're working on as an athletic department. Um, how important was that for you to, to have that crest, that symbol? I mean, first of all, it looks good. Like it's just aesthetically pleasing, but there's real meaning behind it and real belief and unity behind it. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, if you could just break it down and what, sh- what each component means and then how it connects to your identity as a program. Yeah, I've always been a huge sort of proponent of you have to know where you've come from in order to know where you're going. And you has to be sort of rooted in traditions and, and your culture. And so for me, when I look at a crest, um, and this is our old one, by the way. But when I look at a crest, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's something that you wear on your heart. Mm. And so it has to be something that you are completely passionate about and something that you, you know, believe in. Um, we wanted to go from the tiger eye to the tiger head because we want to be known as a fierce and aggressive team. Um, and I think the tiger head is just a, such a symbolic sort of mark. And then we wanted to have uh, the two fleur de represent passion and pride. 
we, you know, we want to be pride, prideful in everything that we do every time we take the field. We want to represent our university at a high level, and we want to represent our team and our teammates and our you know, individuals and our family. Um, and then the passion, I think, that you see us play with, that competitive edge, that mentality, that togetherness is something that represents us at a really high level. And the stripes on the crest represent our five core values of growth, effort, attitude, unity, and excellence. Um, the go symbol and uh, the four stripes, the, this is five gold, four purple, um, represent the four pillars of the game and how we want to be excellent and we want to be in tune with all components of the game, the technical, tactical, physical, and psychological. So let's talk about the psychological because you mentioned getting your team in a flow state earlier. And I, I've always had a fascination with flow or being in the moment or being in the, being in the zone. Right. How, how critical is, is that to get your team in that, that mind space? And how, how do you do it? Like, what are your techniques and tactics for getting them in that collective? I call it a flow state. People, some people call it being in the zone, whatever, whatever you would call it. Getting them in that mind space to perform at their absolute best. I think preparation is absolutely key to everything in life. You know, we do a huge amount of work behind the scenes with the whole coaching staff on on our ability to be prepared for teams, not necessarily just our our game, our first game plan, but in any moments where we feel that um, essentially we, t- we go into every game with a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. Mm. And if plan A isn't working, we're going to bounce to plan B pretty quickly, and, and maybe by the second half we'll even be in plan C. So I think preparation is absolutely critical in how we, we train and we prepare during the week, but also tactically how we prepare for our opponents with scouts. Um, I think how you manage players is so important. So, you know, we obviously want to motivate at a really high level as a staff, but there's always going to be things that come up, difficult things, conversations that we have to navigate. And I think one of the most important things that we've really been brought into as a staff and, and something that I've always believed in in my whole career is you have to give players the ability to be authentic. And, you know, we had a, a very um, deep and meaningful conversation this morning about Black Lives Matter. And we have a very diverse group. And I think it's really important that your athletes feel safe that they feel like they have a voice and they can express themselves and that you feel they feel like you care. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it for me is about relationship building, understanding the person behind the player and learning how to help them navigate some of the challenges that they face in their own individual lives. So when they step on the field, they feel comfortable, they feel like their coaches believe in them and their team is with them and that they're prepared at such a high level that they can execute with whatever challenges they face. I love that word authenticity. It's a word I've been thinking about a lot lately in different things that I'm doing. And uh, it comes through in your program. It came through at, at practice today in the way that you communicated with them, but also the way they were listening. I'm a big proponent of body language and their body language was just exceptional. And it's, it's been that way all season in games, but certainly in practice. So that was, that was awesome to see. You, you mentioned tactical approach. I'm I'm a soccer fan. I'm, I'm going to get into the nerdy conversation here, the tactical approach. But you talked about being tactically flexible. And I think this is something that you can apply outside of sports too, but it's, it's specific to soccer as well. But having, you know, you mentioned the plan A, plan B, plan C, and then, you know, having a preferred approach, a preferred tactical approach in soccer would be a preferred formation. Like I love the four, two, three, one, or the four, three, three, or three at the back, whatever. But then being flexible enough to adapt to the opponent's weakness and also play to your strengths. So what, what is your general tactical philosophy and then how you vary it game to game? Well, we talk a lot about attacking and defending as a team. You know, I think a lot of how we attack comes from how we defend. So we'll talk a lot in terms of, you know, when we're going to close somebody down, when we want to go and pressure an opponent, we're not going to go individually and get played around. We want to hunt or defend in units across the field. So we spend a lot of time speaking about that as a group. Um, we talk a lot about can we defend in a can we defend as a unit of four, whether that is horizontally or vertically, not allowing teams to, to switch the point of attack. And then when we win it, we have this springboard or this platform then with lots of players around the ball to be able to break out and counterattack quickly because we have support um, close to the ball. So for me, I think a lot of the the basis for what you do 
probably across multiple sports. You have to be, you have to have a foundation. You have to have stability in the way that you defend and you look to win the ball. And then when you win it, how can you show sort of creative freedom? And with the group that we have, with the amount of athleticism and pace, how can we get forward really quickly? You know, I know when I came here to LSU, I was told we didn't score a lot of goals. And then we weren't able to deliver so much um, in the goal scoring uh, aspect to play last year. So it's really important to us and, and with my heritage in the game um, that we get forward and that we attack with numbers and that we, you know, sort of excite not only our players in terms of the way that we play the game and express ourselves, but certainly the, the Tiger fans too. We, we talked about last time your, your heritage and, and your background. And what I may do is for the audio version of this, tack that interview on at the end so people can hear your backstory because it's it's fascinating keeping in line with the tactical discussion after a match is done what are the the metrics you look at besides scoreline what, what are the numbers that like pop in your head like we created this many chances or we had this many t- what are the 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 go-tos for you that you look at and that's your your standards that you measure by Every, every single block on the team has specific goals and the goals are responsible for um, setting those goals and those standards before the game. I think it's really important wow. that in order to create buy-in, you give them the freedom to, to set their own goals, mm. both individually. I mean, obviously you have to support that vision, um, but I think they, through the education that we've been giving them over the last season or two, they've got to the point now where they're very astute and mature in terms of setting their own goals and I think that brings a level of of sort of buy-in that that you can't get if you're just setting them for them so I would say overall metrics I think for me you always have to earn the right to play so 50 50s is a big one can we can you win your individual battles can we compete at a high level um, possession you know we have to be able to retain the ball in order to create chances Um, For us at the moment, a big one is how many players can we get into the box? So every time we attack and we get into a service position, how many numbers can we get in the box? And I think if you look at a lot of our goals this season, you'll see that there are a lot of players in the attacking third. And then obviously, you know, as every soccer fan wants to see, how many chances can you create and how many goals can you score? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, If you, so we've talked about what you measure tactically and, and how you measure it aesthetically if you're just watching soccer and the perfect match is on the per- perfect team the way they play what do you want to see what are what are the what are the appealing visuals the aesthetics the style that you idealize and try to implement with your team I think, I think the ability to move the ball quickly um, wanted, we want to be a team or any team that I've ever coached, I want to be a team that keeps possession, that moves the ball quickly through their lines. You know, I think as with anything, when you have the ball, it's more enjoyable than when you don't. And so we talk to the players about, you know, share the ball, give everybody a touch, our goalkeeper. Um, we want them to be as active with their feet as field players. Um, that definitely stands out. Y'all play a lot through your keeper and out of the back. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Molly obviously has, has, has been exceptional at that this year. But I think if you look at Bella, you look at Jade, you look at any of our goalkeepers, they're, they're re- it's really important to us that they're able to play with their feet. But moving the ball quickly, defending as a unit, certainly, you know, how we are able to press teams or how we're able to sit in and occupy space, just how we work collectively as a unit in terms of our communication and the spaces that we take up and then when we win it just that desire to to go forward and and create chances I think is really important for us whether that is individually and your ability to take risks and and break down opponents on the dribble or whether that's your ability to combine with your teammates and and flood forward with numbers and and create goals I think we're one of the highest we have one of the highest shooting frequencies in the league at the moment. So, you know, we tell the girls all the time, you're never going to win the raffle if you don't buy a ticket. Mm. So, um, you know, certainly that's been a huge shift for us from, from last year to this year is just that, that willingness to take shots and to put themselves in positions where they can create. Speaking of tickets, big home game Friday, Mississippi State. Um, I want to I get lost in the philosophical discussion too much. So let's zoom in on that because it's the first SEC matchup. Y'all are undefeated. 
top 10 in the country. So there's some ex- expectations, some anticipation. Um, what, what are your expectations for Friday, both in terms of um, the performance, the, the atmosphere? What are you hoping to see from Friday from your team and, and the fans? Yeah, you know, I think the girls are riding a high at the moment. Obviously, we've got a lot of national publicity, and and that's nice, you know, but for us, it's one game at a time. You know, we talk a lot about pressure being a privilege. Um, You know, people want to talk about the targets on our back now, but I think every time we step on the field, we just want to maintain our standards and our expectations, and the rest for us is just noise, you know, and when we step on the field, as long as we uphold those goals that we set for each respective block of, of you know, the defense, the midfield, the forwards, um, we know that we are going to maintain our performance standards. But in terms of the atmosphere and the environment overall, we lost to Mississippi State last year. So first and foremost, it's revenge. we got to get that back. <laughs> um, it's our first home game in quite some time, our first home game since the hurricane and, and since the long road stretch. So we're excited to be playing in front of our fans. The, the hope is that we're going to pack the stands on Friday night and uh, and just create this sort of special atmosphere and, and give the team an opportunity to play in front of a, a really sort of partisan crowd and, and make it as hostile as we possibly can, get those Tiger fans out chanting and um, and, and just put Mississippi State in a position right from the first whistle where they understand that they're at LSU and they're not leaving here with anything else other than a, a really hard-fought contest. And we'll be doing our best, obviously, to, to make sure that's a, a win for us. So a, a source told me that the band might be there. Uh, the source is the guy holding the camera right now. So hopefully <laughs> the band gets out there. When we were in L.A. for the UCLA game, we went to an LAFC game, and they had the drums there, and the atmosphere was unbelievable. So... Uh, my, I was thinking in my head, like, LSU could do this. Like, our fans are passionate and proud, and we can get some drums in there and get things crazy. So hopefully that's what it looks like on, on Friday. Nick's giving us a, a fist pump there. Uh, should should be exciting. I'll be there. I think the first 150 fans are going to get a scarf, right, an LSU soccer scarf. Are we still working on that? I don't know if that's – They are. Okay. And I was supposed to bring that scarf. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get a scarf. I, I was actually at the Guarantee Studios a second ago doing a football podcast and saw the scarf – looks great um last question i'll end on this i don't mean to put you on the spot here i apologize it's the question i get asked on twitter all the time and if i didn't ask it i would get killed and aaron's already rolling his eyes oh no are are y'all gonna sell the kits i want to sell the kits i (laughs) I want to buy the the kits so badly (laughs) um I think if we keep winning and the success comes, then uh, I don't think they'll be able to tell us we can't, right? So I think that for us at the moment, the scarves are going to be there on on Friday night. It's youth night, first 150 through the gate, get an LSU scarf. And and a scarf, to me, uh, with my background and heritage from the UK, is almost as iconic as a jersey. Mm because that is something you know that you hold above your head when you're celebrating goals or just being sort of passionate you know we talk about the word passion all the time that scarf resembles that passion for me it's a little hotter in louisiana it's not scarf weather down here but it's it's the symbolic gesture it's a little hotter in louisiana so that might be something that comes as the the fall season progresses but yes we'd love to sell the the uh, the jerseys and now that we have a a new crest I think we've generated some excitement about it it's definitely something that I think we can sell out just tell me where to send my money I'll be the first one online to buy one <laughs> they're they're beautiful and uh, just super excited about the success you're having the success you're building super excited for Friday can't wait to get out there bring the kids out I'll definitely bring the older daughter um, she she's gets playing she's uh, her season starts on Sunday so she's doing Happy Feet Soccer which is uh, a local program that's a little more individualized than team soccer. I used to coach Happy Feet Soccer, so I, I, nice. be- I, I believe I believe very passionately in the mission, and uh, so she'll be out there Friday cheering on the Tigers, and then hopefully out there Sunday pretending she's a Tiger um, when she's awesome. on the field, and then maybe uh, maybe in I don't she know. She can walk us out. Oh, she absolutely. She she'd love to do it. So um, we'll be there, and maybe I don't know. She's she's six. Do the math in my head. Twelve years from now, thirteen years from now, if you need a, if you need a player, I mean, you got a connection. Dad's a fan, so I don't know. If, I don't know if that's a recruiting violation or not. I have to check with compliance, but <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like she's not quite a recruitable age. No, I, I think she's okay at the moment, but we might have to change her, uh, the, the team that she supports. Yeah, honestly, to save her some misery, uh, if she doesn't want to be an Arsenal fan, I I would absolutely appreciate that. Maybe you can convince her to cheer on United. They're a little more 
successful than uh, the Gunners these yeah. days. Well, no, I definitely, we'd love to, obviously we want to get all the kids out. I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is just the players getting into the community. I think we've done a lot of work in the community um, to lay this foundation, hopefully for a big crowd on Friday night. So definitely get the kids out there. It's it's youth night and, and we want to, to leave as big of an impression as we can on, on sort of the future Tigers, just like for your sure. daughter. And, and uh you know, we want these girls to be role models and mentors and and women and female athletes that these young girls can look at and say, you know, I want to be I want to be the next Tiger in six, mm-hmm. eight, ten years time. Awesome. Can't wait for the game, coach. Thank you for your time today. I know you got work to do to get ready for it. So we'll let you go. But appreciate your time and, and really looking forward to not only Friday, but the rest of the season. Awesome. Thank you. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Thank you. All right, good to spend a few minutes with LSU soccer first-year head coach Sean Hudson. Coach, thanks for your time today. Uh, it's good to good to sit down with you and talk with you. Um, I want to start at the very beginning for you and, and coming to LSU and and um, December you 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 made the decision to come to Baton Rouge from Colorado Springs. What what went into that decision for you? What stood out about LSU and the opportunity that you'd have here in Baton Rouge? Yeah, you know, I, I've been in Colorado for, or I was in Colorado for close to 20 years and uh, had the opportunity to work at, at various levels from the youth game to semi-professional and, and then obviously collegiately in the last three years and and felt like I had, you know, a pretty big impact on the community there, the soccer community there. And um, I think I just came to a point in my career where I felt like I had, I had done everything that I could do. Um, in that community and I challenged myself and, and accomplished some some good things um, and definitely left a, a pretty a pretty substantial impact I think on the soccer community in general but I think it was just time for a new challenge and, and a challenge at a higher level and you know obviously there's nothing bigger than than being able to come to LSU and, and work in the SEC and and just sort of lead a program that has such rich um, just rich tradition and, and such a, you know, such a passionate sporting environment as we have here in Baton Rouge. Coming from the UK, I, I grew up in that kind of soccer culture. Um, and while I loved my time in Colorado and, and the outdoors and everything that that environment has to offer, I, I did miss sort of that passionate, fanatic fan base Um from a from a sporting environment that we have here in Louisiana and and you know at LSU in particular, so I'm excited to be around that. I think it's sort of brought me back a little bit more to my roots um, from back home and and just to have the chance to play this weekend and, and get going and, and watch the team compete. I'm really excited. Uh, before we talk about your program and this team, can you kind of walk me back through some of your history with the sport? I I, I watched an interview that you did on on YouTube. I think when you were at um, at UCCS and um, one of the things that stood out to me from that was you actually you played on boys teams growing up and then it got to a point where there wasn't a boys team for you to play on or you couldn't anymore and so you basically you and your mom created your own team to play on could you just tell me about growing up in Wales growing up in that soccer culture kind of at a time where you had to kind of carve your own path and how that sort of made you into the coach and the person you are today yeah absolutely I well, I grew up in a, in a large family and, and, you know, we called it football in the UK, but soccer, you know, soccer was just so special in my family and, and we were huge Manchester United fans and um, my, my mom's brother and some of my cousins were able to play professionally. So I just grew up in an environment where, where soccer was, you know, one of the first things that you did as a kid in a family atmosphere and um, I decided that I wanted to play soccer. I was the first girl in my, I would say my school, certainly my community that, that was playing on a boys team. Um, and back then you were able to participate on a, on a boys team in a co-ed fashion until the age of 12. So I did that. I was really thankful for my, you know, my teachers and my teachers at school that, that allowed a girl to participate in a boys because it was very unheard of. And, and I think I just love the challenge of being able to prove myself against the boys and um, 
and at age 12, when I said I couldn't play anymore, it was against the law, so to speak, then um, I begged my mom to just start up a girls team. And so we, we printed flyers. We went around like the local community in the south area of the country um, and, and just really got out there just trying to find girls that wanted to play soccer. And, and my mom was one of the pioneers for, for soccer in, in Wales. And, um, you know, I, I look back at the sacrifices that she made, not just for me, but for all of the, the girls that played on that team. And, and we're all still so close even to this day. And, you know, I, I think it was one of those moments where you know, we did, you know, we did sort of set a new path for, for girls soccer in the UK and in Wales in particular. And, um, you know, and, and I sort of look at that now in, in my career and what I'm trying to do here at LSU. And, and I think I lean a lot on some of those moments um, from, you know, 25 years ago and say, you know, how, how can I take that, those lessons that I learned um, and sort of pass those along to my players and, and the coaching staff that I work with. But yeah, I, I think it was, it was very difficult at that time. Soccer was a male dominated sport in the UK. You were stereotyped and, and looked down upon if you were playing um, soccer and not one of the, the traditional female sports. Um, and so we were a little bit of, you know, trendsetters and, and, you know, blazing a new path forward for women at that time. And, um, but it, it's something that I wouldn't change. I, I think having played, you know, I, I captained my national team um, at U16 and U19 and, and 21. And then I, I was at the time the youngest player to break the full national team. Um, and after the three caps, we call them caps or appearances for your country, I tore my first ACL. And, and that was a really difficult and dark period in my life. Um, just, you know, trying to find your identity and, and figure out who you are outside of just being an athlete. Um, and so at that point in my life, I just decided that if I couldn't play, I wanted to coach. I love the game so much and I wanted to be, you know, still be involved in the game and um, and then I just fell in love with Ching and being able to connect with young women and, and share my passion for the game and, and you know, hope great men to the women that I'm around. And um, it, it's been it's been a great career so far. And I've loved what I do. And I'm really passionate about giving back, not just to the game, but to uh, to the athletes that I'm around. And I think. Uh, I think there's always going to be challenges in everything that we do. And, and here at LSU, we have so much, you know, so much to be grateful for in terms of the resources and the support and the environment that we get to play and, and compete in. But, you know, we have, for instance, an African player on our team, Wasilla um, Duwara Sarale. And, and just chatting with her, she, she shares a lot of the same sort of stories that I had growing up and it, it's not always, you know, so fortunate and you have to fight for what you want and what you believe in. And, and I think going through my experiences has certainly showed me how thankful we have to be for, for, for this environment that we're in today. So yeah, that's sort of awesome. a little bit about my story. Well, you, you touched on it there, how you kind of still lean on some of those, those things that you learned growing up and those, those principles that kind of got you through that time when you take over a program, obviously there's a lot of foundation building to do. What, what are the, the principles that you want to build into the foundation of your program at LSU? What are kind of the core components of what you're trying to build first year? Yeah, I, I think a long time and obviously it's been a very interesting time since I arrived here with everything that's, you know, been going on in the world. But I, I think for first and foremost, you know, build a foundation, um, you know, the, the staff that I've been able to assemble here and sort of the team culture and, and just the, the family atmosphere. I think having family atmosphere on my team where it's not just about soccer, it's about relationships and connections and, you know, feeling that bond not only with your teammates, but with your, your institution, with your coaching staff and, and just, just feeling that passion for people and, and what we're trying to do here is, is just put a, a structure and a foundation in place that's going to give us success in the long term. And, um, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to, to completely swing this around. Like I was able to at UCCS, we went from, 
you know, I think we won three games before I got there into a final four. I think that challenge um, is a lot different at this level and, and maybe we can't have that overnight success that I had immediately at UCCS, but, but maybe success um, and taking steps in direction comes in reshaping the culture and the foundation of the program. And, and I think when you see the team on the field, the, the first thing that you'll see is a complete commitment to each other and the cause and, and passion, you know, passion to play the game and, and, and just enjoy what you're doing um, and the people that you're around. And, you know, obviously it's going to take time to complete, implement my philosophy we lost the whole spring seat which was very disappointing because I think that would have given us as a staff the opportunity to compete against three SEC rivals and just to see um just to see what the SEC game is all about we've obviously watched a huge amount of film but I think watching things live and having the chance to experience it firsthand is different and it's been difficult from a recruiting standpoint, obviously, with with COVID and, and the recruiting dead period. So we've definitely had more challenges than most as a new staff and a new team here. But, you know, I'm I'm so proud of what the girls have been able to do in the last five weeks in preseason and the growth that we have made. And um, I just can't wait to see, you know, sort of that next evolution now as we go into a, a competitive phase with, with these upcoming games. When you started watching film, and obviously you watched a lot of it this offseason because that was mostly all you could do at times, what, what did you see? What were some of the things that you saw that, okay, we can? these are a few things that we can fix, not quickly or easily, but these are the kind of the first places we can start? Yeah, I think, you know, physical preparation is key. Um, and I, I don't think we were as physically prepared as we needed to be last year. And so the addition of Renee Balcone to our, to our um, performance side, our high performance coach, strength and conditioning, she's just been absolutely phenomenal in terms of getting the girls prepared physically for the season, even during a time where she couldn't be working with them, you know, in person. Uh, I'm thrilled with the progress we've made in, in terms of our physical fitness. Um, we did a lot of work over Zoom calls on the tact aspect of the game in terms of our philosophy and how we wanted to play. And I think while the SEC conference as a whole is a lot more direct and transitional and, and very athletic, um, you know, certainly a high-pressing style, you know, I, I think just my, my roots and where I come from, um, you know, I, I want to play the game on the ground. I want to move the ball through our lines and play to feet. And um, I want to play an, an attacking brand of, of soccer and, and press high up the field and, and get a lot of players into the attack. And last year we struggled to score goals. And I think that can be, that can be demoralizing at times as a player, knowing that if you concede one, you know, how are we going to win? How are we going to get success out of that? So I think that, uh, you know, it's going to take time obviously, but just looking at, at sort of the transition in our style. We're creating more chances. We're scoring more goals. We're getting more players into the attacking third. And, and I think that's what, that's what excites both players, you know, and fans um, is to be a part of that kind of mentality. Are there going to be times that we'll have to sit in and be defensive and be compact? Of course, team dictates that. But, um, you know, I, I think that for me is, is just trying to play on the front foot and be attack-minded is, is so important. And then just being organized defensively. Um, you know, I felt last year we were, we were really vertically stretched at times in just large spaces across the field. And so just being a little bit more organized and compact in the way that we, uh, we play together as a unit is, is important. So we, that's where we spent a lot of our time and efforts um, in preseason. And, and obviously until we get into games and we're tested by our opponents, there's going to there's going to be moments where we just don't know what we're going to see and how the players are going to react to pressure of games. But um, the preparation's been good, and, and we're looking forward to, to seeing it come together on the field. How about from a, a team-building perspective, when you bring in so many new coaches and players and um, you've got to build cohesion with so many new faces, how much of a focus has that been for you? What are some things that you're trying to do to kind of create those, those bonds with, with so many new faces? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm huge into the team, team building side of things. Uh, sports psychology is, is sort of my background from an education standpoint. And um, we just do a lot of 
was off the field, you know, whether it's silly things, getting to know each other or, or whether it's, you know, deeper conversations. We've been having a lot of conversations recently, uh, you know, about the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and, and what that means to our team. We have a very diverse team um, or whether it's, you know, in classroom sessions and we're, you know, we're, we're just talking about what our identity is and who we want to be and what we want to be known as. Um, or just fun, you know, just having fun off the field. We haven't been able to have a lot of fun away from training and away from campus just because of all of the the COVID regulations and social distancing. So that component, I think, has been challenging. Um, But I I think if we look at where the girls were at when we first got here to where they are now in terms of their chemistry and their connection as a group, it's it's been really rewarding to see that component come together just with the girls, but with the staff as well. And, um, and I, to me, that's probably the most important piece, right? I think when you play as, as one unified team on the field, um, and you feel those connections with your, with your team as a whole, you fight for each other. So at such a higher level, you know, in games. So that is, that is a fundamental piece of who we are as a program and what we want to be known as, as a team moving forward. So that's definitely taken a lot um, of time in preseason. Can you give me one second? I think my wife needs to get something out of, out of my office real quick. I'm just going to cool. hand this to her. The challenges of working from home. You need a laptop? You go around this way. Is that everything you need? Yep. Is, it, is it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. Um, okay. So I also wanted to ask you about just personnel and um, anyone that's kind of standing out early. I know it's hard when, when you haven't played a lot of games. I know you'll had, you'll had a few intra-squad scrimmages maybe. Um, but just who, who are some of the people you're leaning on, whether it's, it's newcomers, whether it's people that, are, that have been back um, from previous seasons, who are kind of the, 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 the people you'll be leaning on early on? Yeah, I think um... – you know, I, 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 you know, you think back to last season and some of our some of our key performers. Um, you know, Marlena Couture obviously graduated, but I, I, I look at players last year that we had that maybe didn't perform to their capability, whether that was from injury, um, issues with injury, or or just form. You know, and just loss of, you know, just loss of confidence, but. Mm-hmm. I think Tanea Alexander is somebody that is very special in the attacking third. And she's going to be somebody that leads the line for us this year, not only with her ability on the ball, but just her sort of desire and hunger for the game. I mean, she absolutely lives and breathes for soccer. And I think she's somebody that's, that's just going to excite people every time she gets the ball in one V one situations in the final third, she's very, very pacey and athletic, but just her ability with the ball at her feet. She's so gifted um, in terms of running at defenders and taking them on. So I think when I think of the attacking third, um, Tanea is going to be somebody that leads the line for us and, and definitely excites people every time she gets the ball at her feet. Uh, Kiara Richie Williams, um, she's, we've made her a captain this year and we've moved her from a defensive position into the midfield and and hopefully, you know, she's going to get on the ball for us consistently this year and, and be somebody that pulls the strings for us in the middle of midfield. Um, Shannon Cook, you know, those three are our English girls. Uh, Shannon Cook is somebody that just brings a just a, a passion and an intensity for the game and just a desire to, to compete. And I think that is going to be so important for us as a, as a pretty young team this year in the SEC with a lot of new players, um, just sort of that competitive edge Shannon will bring for us um, will be really critical. And, and she offers us a lot of quality getting forward out, out of the back. Um, Gordon is somebody that didn't get a lot of minutes last year, I think, through injury um, as a freshman, but being so proud of her growth um, during preseason and, and what she's going to offer. I think she's going to step into the limelight this year and and be a, a very focal player for us in our back line. Um, but, but honestly, I, I think the way that we're setting up the team and the way that we want to play, um, you know, it's a very team approach. And if one player isn't controlling on either side of the ball, you'll see some things sort of fall apart for us. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be interesting to see who steps up here in the next couple of weeks. But 
we have high hopes for a lot of players across the board. I, I think Meg Johnson is somebody who was a you know local girl from Louisiana, along with Rainy Noel and Maddie Moreau, um, who I who I see contributing big things for the team this season. And and you add Wasa, you know our African um, addition, and she's just very you know composed and skilled on the ball, and she just does things that maybe uh, the traditional American player doesn't do. So. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited, and I think that uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see who sort of steps up and and you know takes the team by the scruff of the neck, so to speak, and, yeah. and gets into competition and, and and dictates how we play. But um, those are probably some of the players that I think will will shine for us. Well, they'll uh, they'll get thrown to the wolves from the start because you you start with you know this week it's it's finally game week i'm sure you've been waiting for it but no non-conference games just right into the meet of conference that's obviously a challenge um but it, it's an opportunity if you look at it differently what do, what do you make of this schedule the obviously everyone's had to adapt with covid and everything but it is a different schedule what are the challenges it presents and the opportunities it presents yeah no, i i think also a um game one is uh it is a situation, quite frankly, for us that I'm excited about. I mean, I think we've got nothing to lose, right? Nobody expects us to go there to, to a team that had, uh, has incredible success for the past few years um, and get anything out of it. So, you know, the way that I'm pitching it to the players is the pressure's on them. They're expected to win, and, and we're expected to go there, obviously, and, and compete and show who we are as a new program. But you know, I, I think for us, the performance this weekend is is much more important um, than the result because I think that going out there and, and showing who we are as a new program, new team, new identity, um, and, and just getting the girls off on on a good on a good note um, is really important. So, for me, I'm just excited. Arkansas offer um, offer some very interesting tactical dilemmas in the way that they play. They're very direct. They like to get the ball from back to front really early. They, you know, they bumbles in the box and they test you. Um, and, and they make the game very chaotic and frantic. And, and for me, the challenge to our team is, is once we've, once we've competed in those moments, you know, for first and second balls, can we show our ability to get the ball down and play out um, and be more composed in possession so we don't, we don't get drawn into playing their style of soccer and, and we stay for who we are. Um, but I think that, you know, it, it's going to be frantic for the first, you know, the first half, maybe first 20 minutes for sure. And, and just getting us to settle into a rhythm is going to be really important um, in the early parts of that game. But yeah, you know, I think every game in the SEC brings a unique challenge, and we're just excited we get to play. There's so many teams across the country right now that are sitting there twiddling their thumbs and just in a in a training training atmosphere for so long. So I I think that uh, the players are just psyched and ready to go, and I can't wait to see them compete. <laughs> 